Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this house of prayer, this gathering. Uh, I just love getting together with the saints and praying and worshiping and opening your word. We just bless the name of Jesus tonight. We are honored to be your disciples. Lord, we've been looking at Matthew 24 and 25 for the last number of weeks, and we pray for, Lord, just simply open these passages to our hearts. Lord, I believe they're very relevant for uh, this season of time and in the days ahead. And I pray that you would open our ears to hear what you'd be speaking to us by your Spirit. Uh, Open your words to us. These are not my words. Uh, Lord, I, I seek to... Uh, preach the words of Christ. And so, Lord, just uh, help me as a communicator and help us as hearers of your word. We just we want to grow to love you more and more in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Did you get notes, Curtis? No, I didn't. Oh, we got notes here. Uh, Caleb, can you uh, make sure Renee and Curtis have notes? Uh, $20 only? No. <laughs> uh, Hey, you just keep bringing that soda, brother. <laughs> you get no, I'm messing with you. I'm messing. It's all, it's all free. Uh, the title tonight, like I uh, was mentioning, we're going to be in Matthew 25. The title tonight is The Bridegroom and the Wise and Foolish Virgin. So this is the first part of Matthew 25. We've gone a couple weeks on Matthew 24, and this is the same sermon. Uh, Jesus starts speaking in Matthew 24 to his disciples, and he just keeps talking and keeps giving parable after parable to describe the end of the age. Because if you remember earlier in Matthew 24, the disciples asked the question, what are the signs? If, if there's going to be this, you know, return of Christ thing, and they were all as new as, you know, anybody, you know, what's it going to be when you return? They were starting to get a little bit of information and, you know, they were slow just like we are. And tell us the signs of the end of the age. Tell us the signs of your coming. So even that, they prayed in essence. They prayed, they asked the Lord and the Lord gave them this information about the end of the age, which I think it's all very significant. Um, And so as I was going through this passage, I realized I can't cover this parable in one week. Because there's so much information. And so I, I'm only going to highlight the, the bridegroom part of this parable. Um, and then we're going to talk about all the other you know, ideas probably next Friday, Lord willing. But I uh, just want to make it clear, this is not a different random sermon. This is he keeps teaching. 
you know, he says the signs are going to be wars and rumors of wars and be careful you're not deceived and false Christs and false prophets. We talked all about that. And then he says there's going to be days of Noah and then he throws in the fig tree and it just seems it's all part of this end of the age teaching. And then some think he like did a whole different, this is the same sermon that he keeps going. He just uses illustration after illustration to drive home different parts of the, the message. And this one, where he talks about himself as a bridegroom, that's an important part of the message. And then there's the five wise and foolish virgins. This is very significant. And um, I've got a little bit of introduction uh, stuff there. I'm probably not going to do much on that. But, but he's essentially presenting a story of a typical wedding. Um, it was not uncommon to have a night wedding, just like it's not uncommon for us to have a night wedding. And some of the information seems pretty straightforward, and then other pieces of the parable are like, oh, that took a weird turn. And that's a lot of times how he shared parables. There'd be a very believable scenario and then just almost a random spiritual application. And I think he, he makes really sharp turns at times and uses... Um, like a hyper, you know, some kind of hyperbole to really drive home like, ooh, that was a sharp turn. I wonder what that means. I think he obviously did that on purpose. And so he's kind of going through a story, and then at the very end, it's like, whoa, I need to really know Jesus. And so let's read the, the text, and then let's talk a little bit more about that. But again, as much as I wanted to go through every little piece of this parable, I don't think we're going to get through it tonight. I, I didn't want to keep people here for <laughs> hours and hours because um, you'd, you'd leave anyways, right? <laughs> so I'm just going to pick the main thing to highlight and then we'll get to the other pieces. You'll just have to, you know, follow up next week. And these notes are online. If you're on Facebook right now and you're like, man, what are you talking about? They're on our website. You can go to our teachings tab. They're there. Um, and I, I don't cover everything, but they're there if you would like them. And so let's look at the actual scripture passage. Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. Again, Jesus continuing this end of the age sermon, the uh, Mount of Olives messages. And he says, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, or ten single girls, Ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. What I think is interesting is this is Jesus telling people about himself in a parable. So he's preaching himself again. He does this a number of times. He says, then in the end of the age, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like these single young girls who go to meet the bridegroom. And this is, a, again, a very believable scenario. This was part of many weddings. There would be relatives or friends of the bridegroom who would escort him to the wedding ceremony. Okay, so this is something that happened. This is this people hearing this, his disciples hearing this, and perhaps young girls listening to this or reading the story would go, ah, I had that job once. Or I remember in Bill's wedding, I did that. So this was very normal. Now, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. So he starts to kind of, ooh, turns a little bit. Those who were foolish took their lamps. Of course, it was nighttime. They didn't have flashlights. They had lamps. They take their lamps and took no oil with them. Okay, we'll 
break this down a little bit uh, tonight, but more fully. So they basically have a flashlight without batteries. Um, they've got a, a lamp that will work a little bit, but not for very long. So that's the idea there. But the wise, they make a decision. They take oil in their vessels with their lamps. Verse 5, but while the bridegroom was delayed, notice you're going to see bridegroom four or five times in the story. There's bridegroom, then there's bridegroom was delayed. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. They fall asleep. And if you're reading the story literally, that's what a young girl would do late at night, would just fall asleep. If the wedding went on and on, maybe you've been at a wedding where it went late and your kids are falling asleep in the corner, this is what would really happen. The bridegroom was delayed. They all slumber and sleep. And at midnight, so the procession hasn't happened till midnight. I mean, can you imagine going to a wedding? I'd, I'd be gone. I'd be in bed. I mean, I'm an old man. <laughs> but so the bridegroom waits till midnight. This is an inconvenient hour, right? I mean, this is like, come on. So at midnight, someone cries out. A cry was heard. Again, there's pieces that can be taken literally, and there's many spiritual applications. You've got to read them parallel. So at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Go do the job that he gave you. You're supposed to escort him into the ceremony or whatever. And so, ah, they get, you know, they're all sleepy. They jump out of their chair or whatever. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish, here's where it gets interesting. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. We didn't prepare. You did. Now give us your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest they're, I don't, I don't know if they said it like that. No. I don't know. No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell, buy for yourselves. And then uh, verse 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. So there's bridegroom, then there's bridegroom delayed. Bridegroom is coming, bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Okay, so the parable is going kind of like, oh, this is interesting. And then all of a sudden, there's a very significant statement. Five of these virgins are disassociated completely. I don't know you. What? Oh, I thought I was like helping and serving. And <laughs> this is nuclear. <laughs> I mean, and it echoes some of the earlier things Jesus said. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I'll say, I don't know you. You're not in. And so there is this sort of an appearance that they're a professing believer. And then we find out at the end, no, Jesus does not know them. And that's not good. So there's this Oh, assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. And then Jesus said, okay, what's the logical thing? Okay, how do I know you? Jesus says, watch. You have to be watching. <laughs> you have to have a spirit of prayer. You must be discerning what's happening with a spirit of prayer. Therefore, uh, uh, watch, therefore, for you, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This parable is loaded. 
And, I, and again, we want to talk about tons of it, but tonight I'm just going to focus on one thing. One of the interesting connections that Jesus makes in just this one parable is he connects the idea of the Son of Man, which you start to hear that language in the book of Daniel, to a bridegroom coming back one day. And again, he's talking about himself. He's making connections here that there's going to be this you know, what's it going to be like at the end? Well, it's going to be like a bridegroom, a, a man in love with a bride who is coming back later than expected, but he will come suddenly and you need to be ready. This is what he taught. And if we think about church history, 2,000 years of church history has unfolded since this parable. And so there has certainly been a delay, like, uh, I thought you were coming back quickly you said i you were and now 2000 years go by and that's a, that's called a delay but that delay will end very suddenly and so we don't go well 2000 years have passed and maybe there'll be 2000 more we don't know it could be 2 years it could be 2 months could be, i mean there's so much we don't know but what we do know is this is what Jesus is preaching there will be a delay and then that there will be almost like this impending return, and then he just he comes quickly. And we need to be able to, uh, you know, accept this is how he spoke of himself. And there was no way to know in that hour that there would be this 2,000-year wait. There, I mean, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how I'm, I'm glad he did that. One example would be because the Lord has tarried into the 21st century at least, you and I got to know him. I mean, if, if the Lord would have returned in the first generation, we wouldn't be able to go to heaven. And so I am so glad he has tarried for so long, but we can't assume he will continue to do that. Um, and there's a lot we won't know, but that tarry will not be forever. And we could be the generation where it goes from he delayed to he's coming to he came real quick. Could be our generation, could be the next, could be years, could be decades, could be, I don't, we don't know. But I will say this, if 2,000 years has gone by, it is a really good time to take this seriously <laughs> because I have a feeling the hour is short. If he said, I'm coming quickly and 2,000 years went by, we certainly have to be at the far end of that. I'm coming quick. And I'm going to talk more about that maybe, maybe a little tonight and next week, but I want to just start by saying this. The, the, it is so important to notice that the, the, the theme of the bridegroom, this is on the notes under number three, important aspects of the parable. There's about 10 or 12 things we're going to highlight. This might even take us three weeks. But the first thing we have to notice is that Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom. And that's something that's not commonly taught today, I don't think. It may be new um, but it's a very important theme uh, throughout the Bible and in John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry. It just doesn't get kind of preached on Sundays normally. But Jesus is essentially trying to connect us to his heart. His heart, if you think of the church in terms of a bride, uh, Jewish and Gentile believers would be, make up his church. You know, if you think of the church being his bride, he's like a bridegroom that loves her desperately, and he's willing to die for her. It's the ultimate love story. 
And so we kind of, you know, we, we're used to thinking in terms of the Lord. He even mentions Lord in this parable. We think of him as a king and a savior and all these. He's all those. But the idea of bridegroom really described his heart very well. And so when he talks about himself in this way, we got to go, oh, that seems weird and kind of like, I'm not sure if I'm into that, but it, we... He gives himself this title that we need to study into. So the bridegroom in the story is Jesus. He's talking about himself. And, and the Lord is describing himself. And, and this, there's this idea of knowing Jesus as the bridegroom. Um, it's going to only get more important as the end of the age unfolds. There's a number of reasons for this. First of all, that's because it, it's who he really is. Jesus is not a tyrant uh, Jesus is not just a teacher. Uh, there's a lot of things that maybe we view Jesus as, but in his heart of hearts, he is a lover. He's a very powerful man. He's God. He created the ends of the earth. He's eternal. And yet what motivates him is not power over people. What motivates him is not like, Ooh, I'm going to impress people with all my miracles. What, what motivates him at the deepest level is he just loves people and he cherishes people and he wants to be with them forever. And so he did all he could to make sure that happened by going to the cross, dying for our sins and saying, anybody that will believe on me, they're in. They're a part of my church, my bride. And so this is very important. This, this idea of Jesus as the bridegroom starts to touch at the very heart of who he is. The very apple of his eye or his vision is when he looks at you and me and anybody else, he's, he's deeply in love with us. And actually, this helps us. This is another application. When we know Jesus this way, that person we're annoyed with over there, well, oh, yeah, Jesus, you love them so much. Oh, okay, I got to love them too. You know, so Jesus, the bridegroom, it's not just this lovey-dovey thing that, you know, we share with the women's ministry. This is how he views everyone. And he has desperate love for Curtis, desperate love for David and all of us here. And he, I mean, like willing to be crucified love for people. <laughs> His enemies, his church. I mean, he is just, he's like crazy in love with people, if you get what I'm saying. And so his, he just has a passion. Does this make sense? Is this connecting? And so the more we, you know, again, we're going to look at through Scripture, he is a king that will reign and uh, rule and reign. And he's the judge of the nations. He calls the final shots. You know, he gets in, he doesn't get in, kind of, you know, very authoritative but fueling his, his kingship and fueling his judge uh, role, that he's at many hats, is this heart of love. And not just any love, perfect love. He, he's not kind of whimsical. He's perfectly loving. And he's loving according to truth. So he's never going to be like unfair in his love. He's always going to be very righteous, if that makes sense. So Jesus is a bridegroom. There's very uh, many important applications. I'll point one other one out under number one. At the end of the age, as we've looked in Matthew 24, there's going to be so many dynamics going on in the earth. There will be so much deception, so much darkness. There will be false Christ. There will be false prophets. Try to imagine this world with me. Try to imagine a world where literally it says in the book of Luke, uh, Luke 21, 26, people will be so afraid their hearts will fail them. I mean, I can't imagine being 
a world that is so fearful, hearts stop working, they're so afraid. So there's going to be so... And again, evil and good will escalate and reach its fullness simultaneously. That, that's the end of the age scenario, okay? But there's going to be so much, I mean, just think of a, a, a many Putins, not just one. Think of many Hitlers, not just one. Think of uh, many, uh, I don't know, other tyrants and dictators throughout history, uh, Mussolini, uh, I, I don't know, many of them on the earth. Many, uh, so much evil is what Jesus is highlighting in Matthew 24 that there will, there will, there will need to be who is, who is the person that will be, I, I mean, how do I say this? There will be such darkness, it's against that backdrop that Jesus, through his church, is going to say, but there's someone different. There may be so much evil. There may be evil political leaders and evil gods out there, but there's one who's a bridegroom who loves you. And he will not abuse you. He's not using you to, uh, to advance his political agenda or to grow his evil regime. That's going to be so rampant in the end of the age. But the church is going to be preaching this God who loves people, who died for them. And it, it seems like obvious to us, but it will be that much brighter, it will be that much more glorious in total depravity and darkness. And so we're going to preach this king who's not just powerful or like more powerful than all the evil rulers at that time, but he's in love with his people. And he doesn't just want subjects, he wants friendship with them. It's going to be such an odd in a, an attractive message, and it is now, and, and that, that draws me now, but it's going to be more so every few years down the line, every 10 years down the line. Um, I think of, you know, I just think of Russia right now. I think of the people in Russia, and what do they, in their heart of hearts, what do they think of their leader thinking of them? I mean, he just sent thousands of their young children to war, and they're all dead. The, the casualties in the war in Russia are unbelievable right now. And they barely talk about it in their media because it's complete propaganda. But if you're a mom and a dad and you just sent your children to a war that's completely a sham, and now you're all, all your children are in a box in the ground, you kind of have to go, what does this guy think of me? What does he think of our country? This is going to be everywhere. This is going to be so many nations are going to be there. I mean, there's going to be so many wars, so many rumors of war, so much conflict, so much civil war. There's going to be a longing for, is there any leader out there that cares, that loves me? That, that, and it's, it's in that world, it's in that time, at the very end of the age, yes, there is someone. It's Jesus Christ. And he has the heart of a bridegroom and he loves people and he wants to be friends with you forever, not just use you to build something that's going to take over the world. I mean, it, his kingdom is going to take over the world, but in righteousness and truth so that we can be close. It's going to be a, 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 a garden of Eden. It's going to be a paradise. And so, you know, this is super important because I don't know if at that time a powerful ruler is going to be like, oh, well, there's a lot of powerful rulers. The Antichrist is powerful. But what's going to set apart Jesus from everyone is this 
picture that we get in Song of Solomon, all that, that applies to, you can say that's Israel or that's the church. You know, there's many applications. There's many in, insights there. But this bridegroom that loves his bride, which is the church, Again, this is not anything to do with sensual. This is just a picture of his heart. He wants to be with his people because he loves them. There's no side agenda. There's no, uh, he, he's genuine in his love. And so this is so important. This is the paradigm he's wanting us to connect to as he goes through this sermon. Okay, so he's, he, he, he wants us to think in terms of the end of the age. You know, I'm thinking, okay, if it's the end of the age, give me the sermon on how I get my rations and how, dig I de- I, how much do I got to dig down so my bunker doesn't get hit by nuclear bombs. Like, I want that parable. And Jesus goes, the one you need is you need to know my heart of love. It's not just generic love. It's like a bridegroom on his wedding day toward his bride, so excited, so full of love, so looking forward to a life together, eternal life together. This is very significant. Um, There's a little bullet under the number one. The old and the new covenants are not just legal documents. You know, they're not just things that God should technically do. The covenants... Our marriage covenants, the old and the new covenants. I mean, we call them testaments, old and new testaments. But these are from God's perspective. God says, this is a marriage that I am committed to and I will never break ever. I love how it says it in Jeremiah 3.14. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, return backsliding Israel. What a message, right? Like you hear the the pastor at church says, return backsliders. Like, ugh. He says, return backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. Oh my gosh, what? Return, you backslidden children, I am married to you. What a message. I mean, they thought Jeremiah was crazy, now they really think he's crazy. What? God married to us, that's what a covenant is. It's not just a, a legal paper in a folder somewhere that God has to act certain ways. He loves his people and he's committing to them to never leave them ever. Even if, even if Israel left God, God didn't leave Israel and that will be proven true fully. And even if the church is unfaithful, Jesus is not unfaithful and he has way and he will just keep calling her over and over, return. I'm married to you. And so there's this theme throughout Scripture, not just of a, you know, a, 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 like a lifeless sort of commitment, but a passionate commitment of marriage. Uh, in Isaiah 62, 5, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isaiah is saying, God is going to rejoice over people like a bridegroom rejoices over a bride. I mean, just think about that in your own life. Have you ever thought God's as happy about you as a guy on his wedding day about to get married? Unbelievable. And this is what he always thinks. This is how he always has been. We just, we miss it when we read scripture. This is why this parable is so important. I, uh, I, 
wrote a little story there. You guys remember your wedding day or Dave, you remember yours? <laughs> sometimes it feels like a hundred years ago, but then sometimes not. But that it's such a crazy excitement. You're like, what is happening? You know, it's just, I don't know what you went through. I was just, I was nervous. I was excited. I'm like, I don't even know what to feel. And there's just, and, and to think that Jesus feels in a, in a redeemed way like that toward his people and he's looking forward to eternal life like that crazy but he is uh, every once in a while mandy will get our uh we'll, on our anniversary sometimes we'll get the video out you know we'll put the video in and go oh my gosh i forgot that like billy fell over on the side <laughs> you know and the flowers tipped over you know and it's just neat to go back and but jesus his his heart beats in this same way. He is he is looking forward to spending eternity with us as his people with with such joy. And to me, this this is so transformative that heaven is not just like this state of being where we just exist, but there's a there's a bright like there's a God who is so happy. For to be with us. Oh, am I running out of time here? Oh no, uh, it was a text. So I was trying. To okay, <laughs> I'll get back to him. There's someone that's waiting for us. Uh, that is interested in friendship forever. That is interested in growing in love. And, and God will never have to grow, but we will, over a process of time, learn more and more about Him, and our love will deepen. Our appreciation will increase. Our gratitude will expand. And so much, even though we're going to have a glorified body, we'll be you know, unable to sin, but our capacity will expand. We will go from glory to glory still forever. I mean, God's already arrived. <laughs> He's perfect. But there's just so much we're going to experience. And it's, it's, in, a, it's in a relationship with a God who is excited about us, who loves us, who cherishes us. You know, sometimes we wonder, what does God think of me? Does he put up with me? Is he angry at me today because I blew it yesterday? Or, you know, I'm going through something. And so, you know, surely he hasn't spoken to me in years. The truth is he's a bridegroom. And he just, his heart is ravished. His heart is full of love. And I want to understand this more because it's just so powerful. Um, we see in the New Testament, I'm going to bring this to a close here pretty quick. Oh, you're fine. You got time. Oh, well, thank you, brother. I might take that. Unless you got to get home to wife or you Oh, shit, I'll get busted. That's true. I better get going. Okay. Hurry it up here. Uh, in the New Testament, there's a theme of friendship with the bridegroom. You remember John the Baptist, John uh, 3.29, he spoke of hearing the bridegroom's voice, and that gave him joy. John the Baptist was this, um, he sort of made this message prominent in that generation. He was considered the forerunner of Christ. And then Jesus continued with that message. He didn't say like, well, John was a little off. I'm not really that loving. I'm kind of the Lord and King, but, you know, thank you, John. No, Jesus went with it. And he said, I am a bridegroom. And he incorporated into his parables. And so there were times where, remember, the, the disciples talked about fasting they said, well, we're not fasting ever. The Pharisees do it and they do it. And 
Jesus responds so cryptically, he always does. He says, he says, guys, would the friends of the bridegroom fast if the bridegroom was with them? And, you know, this has so many layers. I'm sure if I'm in that crowd, I'm going, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, they would get it later, praise God. But he, he's saying, guys, the bridegroom's right here with you. This is good, this is good times. We don't, you're not going to mourn for me. I'm right here, but I'm going to go away one day, and then you will fast because you will miss me, because you love me. That's what fasting is all about. It's about we love you so much, I'll abstain from this meal to experience you more. And so he, Jesus used this language. By the way, I, I, I want to mention, remember when Jesus said this? I can't remember the what verse was it, Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus says, um, John the Baptist was the greatest man born of, of a woman. Do you guys remember that verse? And, and no one else is born except by a woman, uh, by the way. Um, but it's like Jesus is saying, by the way, this is the greatest man ever born. Like, what, what, what? Jesus, wait, what did you just say? I mean, we, from all the way from Adam to John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born to that point, uh, aside from the Lord, and, and I think what Jesus was doing there is saying, guys, John's message isn't just a good word. This is the greatest prophet ever up to this point. And what he's saying is right on. <laughs> you know, this is really significant. The bridegroom he's talking about is really here. And so I think Jesus adds an extreme superlative to John's life by not just saying, yeah, that was, that was good. Like, pay attention to John's ministry and message because his theology is accurate. And, and I have a feeling that the Lord, by his spirit, he's going to raise up messengers. He's going to raise up communicators who will speak of this aspect of Christ more and more as we get closer to the end of the age. Because this, Jesus said it, then the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten uh, virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom. He, he is going to emphasize this because he wants his people to know in the hardest, most challenging season of history that they're desperately loved by God. He wants all of us to know that. It's challenging now. It's going to get more challenging. It's, you know, many people, oh, I can't wait till it goes back to, you know, how it was. It's never going back. It's just going to get more difficult to be a disciple. There's going to be more pressures Jesus made it very clear. And there's still some who are like, well, I'm going to just have faith that Matthew 24 won't happen. No, Jesus said, assuredly, this is where it's going. You don't want to have that false faith or false whatever and, and kind of go like, well, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to believe. No, it's going to wars and rumors of wars, false Christ, deception. And it's building, but it will only go to another level. And I can't be, I can't, preach and not say the truth that's going to happen and so what's going to get us through that how do we endure to the end we see this bridegroom who is so in love with us and and make it personal is he doesn't love the other guy or maybe he loves that pastor because they have a big church or that worship leader who's with bethel and has a big label no he he loves you he loves you with this ravished heart. He loves you. He cherishes you. He is your bridegroom. And again, this isn't about male, female, and, and it takes maybe a little while to get used to, but there's nothing sensual about it. it just, it's a way to describe his heart toward us. And so 
it's so important. This anchors our heart in in difficult times, I believe. Uh, One last thought on the back page. I snuck it onto the back here. Just some personal application. Um, We're going to look at the other aspects of the parable next week, but I I wanted to start with that. But just begin to pray. Like, I remember when I first heard uh, uh, a message on Jesus the bridegroom, I'm like, I'm not into that. No way. Uh, certainly not going to do that one. Give me some like messages on being a missionary and raising the dead and you know doing something really powerful. But what? Jesus loves me. I no thank you. In fact, when I was a young believer, when I started hearing like messages like this, I totally tuned out. And then I found out a few years later, like it's the only way forward is to know Jesus loves me because you know I was so immature. I didn't know that love carried you. I thought it was just my personal dedication and grit my teeth and be a Christian. And, and that works for like 10 days, you know. But if we want to go all of our life to the end in love with Jesus, we have to know how loved we are. And he went to the cross for us because he loves us. And so this is so important. Just begin to pray into that. And just as you're having your devotional times or maybe here at the prayer room, just like, Lord, thank you for cherishing us so much. Thank you for delighting in us. Study over some of the verses I have written here and just begin to let, let the Spirit touch your thoughts and emotions with he, he loves you more than you've ever thought. And He's fighting for you more than you've ever thought. And that He went to the cross for you. Begin to just let your mind be tenderized, your emotions be tenderized. Um, because when we know how loved we are, we live different. We live for Jesus. And so I'm going to end right there. And uh, we'll pray uh, real quick here. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you're a bridegroom with desire. You love us. And I pray that this would be real to us tonight. Um, I pray for those here in this room, those on Facebook, those on the recording. Make this real by your spirit. Uh, Lord, we can't just um, think of it and just get it. Lord, just work it into us by your Spirit. Uh, Remind us throughout the day, you're a bridegroom who loves us desperately. And as we look at this in the next week or two, the the other details, help us to respond rightly to you, like the wise virgins in the story. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.